Welcome in to the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Manna. This week's episode, we will continue to go over the different milestone chases and playoff races in Major League Baseball, as well as getting you ready for week one of the NFL season, kicking off this Thursday, September 8th, Rams-Bills, Go over all the injuries and things you know going into week one of the NFL season. But when it comes to baseball, we have to talk about the Cardinals a little bit. They've been the hottest team in August. Albert Pujols is six away still from 700 career home runs. And MLB Network did a really interesting exercise that definitely took hours of looking through film. Albert Pujols has been robbed of a home run six times in his MLB career. That paired with the COVID-shortened season is the difference between 700 and falling short. He's got about 30 games left. He's not going to play in all 30. I've been saying it, the real goal here is 696. He needs to pass A-Rod in this time, halfway to 700 there at 697. And if he gets 700, which is something that myself and baseball fans everywhere really want to see, he will very likely be the last one to get there. But even if he doesn't, He's going to be the last player to challenge 700 home runs for a very long time. If you look across baseball, a guy like Nelson Cruz is short of 500 home runs. And with how he's played this year in Washington, doesn't look like he's going to make it there unless he plays another two or three years. You have guys that are on the trajectory for 500 career home runs. Like Giancarlo Stanton, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. They've all had injuries throughout their careers that could hold them out from even getting to 500, let alone 700. And it really just reminds you of how special Albert Pujols is. Over this final month of the regular season, whether he gets there or not, if you haven't already, I've been stressing it all season long, Take some time to watch Albert Pujols play before it's all done. The Cardinals are in good position right now to make the playoffs. His season will go on into the postseason, but Albert Pujols is an all-time great, the only first baseman in history that you can even compare to him statistically are Lou Gehrig and Jimmy Fox. He's an inner circle Hall of Famer, and I'm really excited to see this final month of the season and if he can push for 700 home runs. The other big chase for the Cardinals is Paul Goldschmidt, and he's slowing down a little bit. It would be the first National League Triple Crown since Joe Ducky Medwick in 1937, so it's been a long time. Kyle Schwarber has a leadoff hitter for Philadelphia, continues to have more home runs than singles, and 
is staying just ahead of him in the home run race. It will be really interesting down the stretch to see Pujols chase 700 and Goldschmidt, if he can get hot in this last month, chase and capture the first National League Triple Crown this century. The Cardinals are a team that I've talked about a lot. I think if you look across the National League, there's a couple teams that are maybe more deserving of the spotlight, but they're spending a lot more for their rosters. And that's the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Mets. The Dodgers have had a tremendous year, and they've played some great games against the Mets the last couple weeks. Jacob deGrom, seven innings of one-run baseball against a lineup with multiple MVPs in it. Trey Turner has announced that he will also be joining the stacked USA World Baseball Classic team. He's an amazing player. And the Dodgers continue to be the cream of the crop to me. As electric as it is when Edwin Diaz comes into the game with the trumpets. That's going to be super imposing in playoff baseball. I just don't know if the New York Mets can beat the Los Angeles Dodgers consistently when it counts. They did very well in that series, and those games did matter. The Dodgers have a pretty cushy lead. Mookie Betts is hitting out of his mind, and I think that the Dodgers are poised to represent the National League in the World Series. The Mets, though, with their pitching and how good their lineup can be, Definitely one of the teams to watch to see if they can knock them off. So whenever you see matchups between the Dodgers, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Padres, these are some of the best teams, the Braves, the Phillies fighting for their playoff lives. All these teams in the National League, if they're playing against another good team, It's must-watch baseball right now as they continue to push towards the postseason and just get right before the games count and teams go home. In the American League, the MVP race has been a big conversation with Aaron Judge finishing August with 51 home runs. The 46th player in history, a 46th season in history with 50-plus home runs. Steroids have made that number go up significantly. But for all intents and purposes, Aaron Judge has been doing this clean. In a contract year, in the pressure cooker of baseball that is the Bronx, he deserves every penny that he's earned this season. And for my money, he'd be the American League MVP. But because the MVP has shifted towards the best player in baseball, not just the best player on the best team, Shohei Otani's season should not just get brushed under the rug. He now has back-to-back seasons with 30 home runs and 100 strikeouts as a pitcher. 
he became the first player in Major League Baseball history with 10 wins in a season and 30 home runs as a batter. And you could argue that he's having a better season than he did last year when he won the American League MVP almost unanimously. Right now, Aaron Judge is winning the war race, but they're both in the sevens. I think they're both going to finish above eight wins above replacement, which is an amazing season. And while I think Aaron Judge should be favored and probably should win the most valuable player, Shohei Otani and what he's doing, as long as he stays healthy and puts up the hitting and pitching numbers that he's able to put up, especially this year, he's even better as a pitcher than he was in years past as his career year as a pitcher. He's going to be top three MVP candidate every single season, no matter where the Angels land. And I think that's why the Angels being up for sale is such a big deal. You have the best player of the last decade in Mike Trout, and you have the best player so far of this decade in Shohei Otani. So building a winner around those teams, getting those guys in the national spotlight more, making the postseason. It's going to be really fun because right now, all it comes down to is MVP awards. Three of the last six MVPs in the American League have been Angels. Twice by Mike Trout, once by Shohei Otani last year. And if they have four MVPs out of the last seven, That'll look like one of the biggest missed opportunities in baseball history by an organization not able to build around two generational players. Absolutely unreal. I understand the Angels aren't in it, but pay attention to what Shohei Otani's doing. Hitting home runs to take the lead, striking out the side. with He's doing everything for this Angels squad. And he's been really good on the mound this year. So, Shohei Otani, if you win the MVP, I won't be furious like many Yankees fans will be. But I do think that Aaron Judge should be the MVP based on him consistently producing at a historic pace for one of the more dominant teams in baseball. There was a really fun conversation on MLB Network the other day. Adley Rushman, Bobby Witt Jr., or Julio Rodriguez, who would you take to start a team with right now? Adley Rushman, 24-year-old switch hitting catcher who since he came up to the major leagues has commanded a pitching staff and been a big part of Baltimore's push towards the postseason. Julio Rodriguez, who took the league by storm and got a historic contract extension already from Seattle and is pushing them towards a wild card berth this season as the youngest player to go 2020. Or Bobby Witt Jr., who is one home run away from hitting 2020 at arguably the most important defensive position, shortstop, where he's just a do-it-all player 
that I think truly has 30-30 potential in the major leagues. And two out of the three went with Bobby Witt for those reasons. But me personally, I can't go against Julio Rodriguez. I'm a little biased because the man wears 44, which is my lucky number, number I wore in high school. But Julio Rodriguez just has the star power. He's got the smile, the way he plays. He's smooth out there. He's got power. He can run. Center fielder, which is also an important defensive position. And a guy that's leading the charge for a team that's missed the playoffs for a long period of time. I understand they've gotten a lot better bringing in veterans like Robbie Ray, Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, Justin Upton. But Julio Rodriguez has really been the big breakout star for Seattle. And I'm really excited for his future I think that all three of those guys are cornerstone franchise players. Bobby Witt Jr. playing shortstop with 30-30 potential. And Adley Rushman, what he's doing down in Baltimore, cannot be swept under the rug. They compared it to Buster Posey's early impact on the Giants with commanding a pitching staff and raking at the plate. I don't know if he's Buster Posey, but he's definitely been a difference maker for the Baltimore Orioles that are one of the most electric teams in baseball right now. They are trying to knock off a Toronto or Seattle or Tampa for that last wild card spot. And this last month of the season or so is going to be really awesome watching those four young teams fight for three spots. Cleveland has to battle with Chicago and Minnesota. But the teams that miss out on that division aren't going to be in the wild card. And Cleveland, right now, they have one of the best closures in baseball in Emmanuel Classe. They have one of the most underrated players in baseball in Jose Ramirez. And the player with the most war on their team is Andres Jimenez who was one of the Mets' top prospects, was a first-time All-Star this year, started the All-Star game, and he's just been unbelievable. I feel like the modern-day fans are not really hearing too much about him because he's playing in Cleveland. He's not even the star of the team. But Andres Jimenez has been one of the best players in the American League this year. And I'm really excited to see that future infield in Cleveland with Jimenez, with Ramirez, and some of the guys they have in their system. I think the future is bright in Cleveland, and they're ahead of schedule right now. I thought this wasn't going to be their year. I think with the current way they're hitting and the back end of the bullpen that they have, they could hold off Minnesota and Chicago and win that division. So congrats, Cleveland. Watch that American League wildcard race as we see four teams that are all really young and talented vying for three spots. Playoff baseball is going to be so electric this year. The NFL season 
is less than a week away. I've been waiting for it so much. Not a big college football fan anymore. I'll usually watch some of the marquee matchups and the college football playoff. But I found myself watching some of the opening games for college football. Really fun just seeing football on national television. Some of these guys that will potentially be sleepers in the NFL draft next spring. But I'm worried about what's coming up. A lot of you have your fantasy football drafts. They may have just happened. They may be happening this weekend. And there's some injuries and stuff heading into the season that you need to be aware about and draft accordingly. When it comes to quarterback, most of the studs don't have any injury concerns heading into the season. I think that you're going to be fine with most of the top options. Trey Lance is one of my favorite quarterbacks in fantasy football this season. Taysom Hill is now a tight end. And when he was filling in for the New Orleans Saints, he was throwing for under 250 yards a game and averaging less than a touchdown passing per game. And he was averaging over 20 fantasy points in that span because of his legs. I understand the 49ers opted to keep Jimmy Garoppolo. Everyone's saying that the Ravens got rid of Flacco when it was Lamar's time. And situations like that. The Chiefs got rid of Alex Smith for Patrick Mahomes. The Bills got rid of Tyrod Taylor for Josh Allen. But Trey Lance is someone that they gave up a whole lot of picks with to trade up with Philadelphia to number three and take him. He's got all the tools. He's been the starting quarterback all offseason, making highlight plays. And while he's very raw, he hasn't taken a ton of snaps in the last couple years. For a fantasy football perspective, I would not be worried about Trey Lance. Especially in one quarterback leagues where if for whatever reason he gets hurt or they do turn to Jimmy Garoppolo, which I think would be suboptimal even though you got a Super Bowl roster here. Trey Lance is going to have such a high floor and the difference between him and a Taysom Hill is that he actually has the arm talent to get it down the field to Brandon Ayuk, to Debo Samuel, George Kittle up the seam, Danny Gray, the third round pick out of SMU, the running backs out of the backfield, and with his legs, he's going to add so much value to your fantasy football team. So if there's any kind of dip in your league because of Jimmy Garoppolo, take that profit and say thank you. The late round quarterback approach has been kind of drawn out at this point where you'd get Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson before they broke out at a value. But now, because that is so popular, all the quarterbacks that have that kind of breakout potential always end up going in the top 12 quarterbacks. If Trey Lance falls out of that top 12 quarterbacks, he is a smash because his upside is top three quarterback. His floor 
is QB 15, which is where I think he's getting drafted right now, somewhere between QB 13 and QB 15. I'm cool with that swing. You're not going to get the Lamar Jackson in the second to last round anymore. It's just not going to happen. But Trey Lance has that kind of potential. He has the weapons that even if he's not seeing the field the right way, if he's dumping it down to Debo Samuel or George Kittle, these are two of the best yards after catch players in all of football. They will create more yards and possible touchdowns for Trey Lance. And with his legs, he will also create more yards and touchdowns. So I wouldn't be worried. The 49ers backfield, really interesting because of Elijah Mitchell coming into the season with a knee injury. Behind him is Jeff Wilson, who's been there forever. Tyrion Davis-Price, their third-round pick out of LSU. And my favorite guy, Jordan Mason, undrafted rookie out of Georgia Tech. Not only did he defy all odds coming into camp as the sixth running back, making the 53-man roster, but he had them get rid of Jamichael Hasty, who's been around there for a while, and they liked a lot. As well as Trey Sermon, a guy who they traded up in the third round to pick last season. He's gone. He's in Philadelphia now as a depth piece. Jordan Mason, he's not someone that you're going to draft in most of your home leagues. But if you play in like a very deep format or a dynasty format, Jordan Mason is a name to put on your watch list or to pick up and stash. With the way the 49ers backfield's been and their starting running back coming into the season with an injury, there's something called the Alfred Morris Corollary, which is something I key to Matt Kelly, the pod father from Roto Underworld. When you have a Russian quarterback, the defense schemes and opens up rushing lanes that the running back can also take advantage of. That's why Alfred Morris with Robert Griffin III was able to break out and be such a dominant rusher for his first couple years in the NFL. Whatever running back's back there, whether it's Mitchell, Wilson, Price, Mason, they're going to have lanes to run the ball. We know Shanahan likes to run the ball. He likes to keep his guys fresh and rotate a little bit throughout the game. Mason's going to get work sometime this year through an injury, through him just practicing well. And he has said himself that this 49ers running scheme is built for him. He was one of the highest graded running backs by Pro Football Focus this preseason, and he's a name to monitor heading into the season with Elijah Mitchell coming in hampered by a knee. He's expected to go and play week one. Elijah Mitchell should still be drafted as the starter. But if you're in a deeper league, grab a Jeff Wilson. Or in really deep leagues or dynasty formats, have Tyrion Davis-Price or Jordan Mason on your taxi, on your bench, just waiting. Because making the 53-man roster is already such a win for a guy like Jordan Mason. So all the upside is just forward at this point. Another running back that made the 53-man roster 
on a run first team that I want to talk about is Sacred Heart's own Julius Chestnut. Yes, one of the best names in the NFL. He made the 53-man roster and actually started two of the preseason games over a running back that I've talked about on here, Hassan Haskins, their fourth-round pick out of Michigan. I think Haskins profiles better as the replacement for Derrick Henry. But with Henry having an injury history now and them changing his contract, not extending him, Julius Chestnut is a mustache in Dynasty. Throw him on the practice squad, set and forget it. The fact that he was able to make the cut out of Sacred Heart, he's going to play mostly special teams at first. But if something happens to Derrick Henry or something happens to Hassan Haskins, Chestnut's value will just increase because he's there and he's shown that he's productive and the team likes him. As an undrafted free agent, you're not expected to be handed the keys like James Robinson was in Jacksonville a few years ago. You just want to make a roster primarily like with Mason and Chestnut, a roster that's identity is to run the damn football. And once you have that, you're going to do all right. Few other running backs heading into the season with injuries. J.K. Dobbins was shown limping through drills and is not on path to start week one for the Ravens. So he's someone that Unless he falls in your drafts, I would avoid. I don't like drafting hurt players in your regular season fantasy leagues. I think 2023 is going to be a big year for J.K. Dobbins. This will be a rehabilitation comeback year for him. But Guess Edwards, who also is recovering from the ACL, does not look like he's even close to week one. So the Ravens have brought in Mike Davis, who looks to be the starter, and just signed Kenyon Drake, who was released by the Raiders. So for those who are drafting running backs in the later rounds, Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake are both decent flyers for guys that will get carries for the first couple weeks of the season. If you're waiting for a J.K. Dobbins to come back or waiting for a Ken Walker in Seattle to get healthy, they're just some guys to think about and you're getting a starting running back for at least a couple weeks. Cam Akers is someone who I don't think is going to play in the regular season kickoff against Buffalo. He hasn't been able to sprint in drills. He has an undisclosed soft tissue injury. Cam Akers was rushed back from the Achilles for that playoff run, and he was not very efficient, even though he was getting the volume and he was looking good. And during the offseason, he was one of my favorite running backs to draft in both redraft and dynasty. I think the value of a workhorse running back in that Rams offense is immense. But it doesn't look good for Cam Akers. And I typically don't like to draft running backs that are injured going into the season for my redraft teams. Cam Akers, to me, you have to fade him. I like the talent. I just don't like what's going on with him. I think much like a Ken Walker or J.K. Dobbins, 2023 is the year I want to be high on them. But if you get them late enough in your drafts and you can wait for them to come back, make it through the weeks with 
fill-ins like a Rashad Penny, a Devin Singletary, Mike Davis, Kenyon Drake types, I think you'll be okay. Cam Akers was a guy that at the very start of the offseason, I would have been okay with going wide receiver heavy and having him as my RB1. I don't want Cam Akers as my RB2 on most teams, and that's something that's disappointing. I think he has RB1 upside if he can get healthy this season, but it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Darrell Henderson should be shooting up your draft boards. He's going to be ready for week one, and he showed last year while they were waiting for Akers to get back that he could put up RB1 weeks. He's a very solid running back. He is not a league-winning running back, but definitely a guy that's going too late in fantasy drafts right now. And if I had to choose between Henderson or Akers in a redraft league, I would pick Henderson nine times out of ten. The last running back that I wanted to talk about injury-wise is none other than Damian Harris of the New England Patriots. He's been not really practicing as much uh, during the preseason. He seems to be a little hobbled, and all the press coming out of New England's camp is that Ramondre Stevenson could have a passing down role, could be the three down back, could take over sooner rather than later. Damian Harris is a very good two down grinder. He scored a lot of touchdowns last year, was a very good fantasy pick for those that drafted him. I'm fully fading Damian Harris this year. I'd prefer drafting Ramondre Stevenson, but like most years, I'd prefer avoiding the New England backfield as a whole. The only two players that I want to draft on this New England offense are Jacoby Myers and Hunter Henry. Mac Jones, obviously, if you're in a two-quarterback league, should be rostered, but this Patriots backfield is going to be a mess. Damian Harris didn't come off a great season and immediately just be crowned the guy like we would hope he's been hobbled he's had some setbacks he's going to be fine for week one but I think Ramondre Stevenson is going to get a lot more work than you want and I won't be shocked with Harris's contract if they just shift over to Stevenson as the main guy and just really make it annoying week to week following those Patriots running backs few other injuries to go over heading into the season. At the wide receiver position, be very careful with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver core. Chris Godwin looks to be ahead of schedule, and I think we'll be back sooner than later. And a lot of people were drafting Russell Gage as a sneaky guy. I think with the addition of Julio Jones, with Chris Godwin being ahead of schedule, and with Russell Gage having a lower body injury through camp. Unless you're getting him very late, I would be very hands-off with Russell Gage. I'm not excited about him. Mike Evans is going to be the number one target in that passing game. And I think Russell Gage could be a very big trap for you in your fantasy football drafts. The other big injury at wide receiver heading into the season is Drake London in the same division. Drake London is most people's rookie wide receiver one. I picked him to be rookie of the year before he hurt his knee in the preseason, and he's been lightly practicing and doing everything to be ready for week one. 
I think he's going to get a lot of targets. But I'm scared of this Atlanta offense. I think this will be a very big year for Kyle Pitts as the tight end that plays more like a wide receiver. And Drake London, with where he's going in ADP, could disappoint people. I'm not so much worried about the other wide receiver options taking away from him as I am him not being 100%, getting off to a slow start with Marcus Mariota, and then Kyle Pitts being the number one option there in Atlanta. I think there's a lot more risk than reward with Drake London. I wouldn't expect him to have anywhere close to a Jefferson Chase rookie year where he just dominates from the jump. I hope you guys enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Long weekend here for you guys. I wish you the best of luck in your fantasy football drafts. Make sure you watch some baseball down the stretch. It's going to get more and more electric. And obviously, every week of the NFL season, I will be recapping the games that happen and giving my upset of the week for the following week. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at DominicManna44. Have a great weekend. 